Everyone up, everyone in. Time for the fun to begin. Come along with me, Lookout Bear, on a brand new adventure. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Michael B. Moynihan here, Zubilee Zoo's resident adventurer, Lookout Bear. I, along with my friends Paul. Hello, Zubaroos. And Billy. Welcome to the show. Have teamed up to bring you an informative and entertaining deep dive into the loving world of Zubilee Zoo, one episode at a time. So please, buckle up and join us for... When you're in Zoobilee, Magic and wonder are waiting for you. So come on with us now and discover the wonder of you. Welcome to Zoobilee Zoo. That's right. You can listen to the brand new Zoobilee Zoo podcast dropping the 1st and the 15th of every month wherever you get your podcasts or at electronicmediacollective.com slash pod. Hey, boils and ghouls. This is David Howard Thornton from Terrifier and the upcoming Terrifier 2. And you're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Episode of Moose's Monster Mesh. I'm your host, Moose. And we're getting close to about the halfway point of the year. Summer's here. And what better way to kick off the summer than with the ice cream man himself? And I could bury it all in the lead. I could stay here and talk all day. But you're not here to listen to me. You're here for my guest. So without further ado, Mr. Clint Howard. Well, thank you, Moose. That was a really good intro. Solid. Yeah, it was really good. Thank, Thank you. you. So, how's life? How's everything going? Life is wonderful. Um, I just finished working on a thing that I wish I could talk to you about it, but I, I signed a contract that said I'm just I'm prohibited from mentioning it. But uh, it was a nice, nice piece of work. I will give you a little tip. It. I was working up in Toronto, uh, so that might give some of the hounds an indication of what I might be working on. But anyway, it, you know, I've been working, um, very happily married. I, I have this beautiful, beautiful bride cat. Um, who and, is very and, lovely. Yes. No, cat is, is, Oh man. You know, I can't even put into words what she means to me. I mean, it really is, you know, a huge, a huge part of my day to day life. And, and we have a daughter, Rafa, and uh, Rafa is great. You know, mm-hmm. she's 12. Sometimes she's 12 going on eight. And sometimes she's 12 going on 30, if you know what I mean. I say w- when I met her, she she seemed very mature for a 12 uh, year old. Yeah. yeah. No, she's really cool. Uh, I love Rafa and uh, and and Kat. And we got a good little thing going here in, in, in down in the Los Angeles area. So. Normally, I'd ask how you got into acting, but, you know, you, you seem to be in an acting family. So, uh, let, let's just jump into, you know, you've been acting since a kid. You know, what's what's it like being essentially a lifer in this fabulous life of film? 
Well, yes, completely a life. And I wish I could answer that question about what it was like to get into the entertainment business because I don't remember. Um, you know, what I do remember are hearing the stories and myself telling the stories of, of me getting into the business, you know, but as far as my memory, listen, I was, I was in the business three or four years before I start to have memories of actually being on a set. So, you know, I, listen, I was, I was born in, like you said, I was born into it. You know, my older brother, Ron, uh, you know, he was a little juvenile thespian. Uh, and of course, you know, my mom and dad were just absolute giants. What they did, what my mom, Jean Howard, and what my dad, Rance Howard, did, navigating us through these tricky waters, and that's an understatement. Yeah. The tricky waters of, you know, the entertainment business was just, you know, phenomenal. And they did it so simply with so much common sense. Um, listen, this is a kind of a, a segue. You know, Ron and I wrote a book called The Boys, a memoir of Hollywood and family. And it's it's really us telling our stories of being juvenile actors and being the sons of Rance and Gene Howard. And when Ron and I decided we were going to write this book, right away, we landed on two things. And that was it needed to be a dual narrative. He gets his opinion and I get mine. Because from my chair, I see things a little different than Ron, you know. Um, and, but the, the main thing was it's, it, we wanted to write a love letter to mom and dad, you know, that, that they were so instrumental in getting us to where we are. And, you know, they just, my, listen, what happened was, I mean, this has been three or four years ago, dad passed away. And that, that, that sort of was the end of the Howard family. Mom passed away years before, but dad passed away. And Ron and I felt like we really needed to do something to sort of express our gratitude and explain our journey to people. And it came out last October and it's, you know, it was a New York Times bestseller for a month, which was wonderful. You know, it's great to write a book. It's even better when it's on the New York Times bestseller. Yes, it's great to write a book. It's even better when people buy the book. <laughs> yes, yes. And in fact, you know, so the way the way the publishing business works is it was at, it's been out in hardcover now going on a year. This October, this coming October, it will be a full year that it will have been released and the paperback version is coming out. So, you know, um, you know, Ron and I are both very proud of the book. Uh, and also too, it's not just the paperback or the hardcover. We did an audio book, which is wonderful. And, you know, listen, I listen to audio books all the time. I've got my own personal favorites. There's been some that have just been awesome. And hopefully people can, you know, have that kind of feeling about the boys. Because Ron and I, we, we, we spoke our words. It's a dual narrative. He, he, he sort of writes his part of his story, and then I write my story. Uh, but in the audio version, um, you, you know, we, we, we share it. We share it with the public. And as my wife likes to say, you know, when Ron talks, it's sort of a symphony. And when I talk, it's kind of a rock and roll band. <laughs> so, it, 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 and that's the way that that beautiful thing about writing the book with Ron is we really do have different perspectives, you know, and, and I have a different way of articulating myself. And, and it's just, I think a lot of people got, a, you know, a lot of entertainment out of, out of, you know, uh, our voices. So it's definitely a book I still need to pick up. 
Um, yeah, I, listen, I Moose, I certainly would cue it up right away because it's a good one. I say, yeah, I, I, I remember seeing seeing it announced. I was like, yeah, I need to get it, and then it was like, forgot to get it, and I'm like, oh, still need to get it. <laughs> well, maybe maybe this maybe this will cement it in in your brain. Right, you got to you know, listen, it's listen, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Amazon, Amazon.com. You type in a few keywords. There it is. You you press uh, cart. And it ends up in your cart, and then you press buy, and then the next thing you know, it's coming. It, it just shows up at my house, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Bezos actually delivers it to you, hand delivers it to you. Now that'd be a treat. <laughs> uh, Can so, you imagine? Oh man, I wonder if Jeff Bezos has ever made home deliveries just for giggles. I wonder if he's ever stepped foot in the warehouse. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a better one. So, you're. Like you said, as a kid, you were all over the place, but let's, what I found the most interesting or was your work with Disney. I mean, Jungle Book, Winnie the Pooh, Gentle Ben. I mean, these are... Whoa, 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 whoa. Not whoa. Gentle let's Ben. Not Walt, let's not give Walt too much credit. Gentle Ben was created by the producer that helped create the show was a fellow named Ivan Tours. Right. Who was trying to compete with Walt Disney back in the 60s. But yes, I did work. I did work for for Disney. Um, in fact, I had an opportunity to meet Walt Disney, which was a wonderful, never forget that experience. Um, but first I did Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day, mm -hmm. where I played Roo, the baby kangaroo. And then, I don't know, seemingly... A year or so later, they called me. And of course, I, I don't remember whether they called me or not. I, so when I say that, that's just show business talk. Um, I got I got hired to, to play the baby elephant. The Disney company was getting ready to do this big, expansive uh, film. Because Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day wasn't necessarily a feature-length film. It was short. It was not a full-length thing. Yeah. But the Jungle Book was... So I went in to the recording studio, the, the main scoring stage at Walt Disney Studios to record my, my stuff. And I believe it was probably 1965 or 1966. Uh, the, the movie didn't, Jungle Book didn't come out until 1967, but you, know, you gotta remember back in those days, there were, there were artists in rooms drawing the cells one by one mm -hmm. by one. It is one, no computer action or anything like that. So it took a while for a movie to get going. But anyway, I did my, I, I was doing my, uh, my dialogue and it included singing part of a marching song. And I am rhythmically challenged and tone deaf, always have been. So getting me to stay in, in step to, with any kind of song can be a little tricky. And I remember I was having a little trouble doing the singing, but everybody was being very patient with me. Uh, and I was, I was there in the scoring stage and back in those days, and probably they still have it. You know, there's a glass, there's a gl big piece of glass that separates the engineer's room from the actual recording stage. And I'm looking and in the engineer's room, I see Walt Disney kind of walk into the engineer's room and start watching me. And I was fascinated because I was a Disney baby. I mean, I, mom, dad took me to Disneyland when I was in a stroller and I certainly knew Walt's image and I saw him and that was cool. 
And then they have another little window on the door of the between the recording stage and the engineer's room. There's a big door and it has a little window. And I saw Walt's, I saw Walt's face kind of look in through that little window. And he saw that we weren't recording. And he opened the door. He took a couple of steps into that recording stage. He saluted me and he said, You're doing a fine job, Clint. And my God, that just blew me away. So that was my experience working on the Jungle Book. Um, and I worked with Disney. I worked with Disney, uh, not with Walt. Walt then pretty soon after the Jungle Book. In fact, before the Jungle Book was released, Walt passed away. Um, but later on, back in, I think, 1971 or 1970, um, my brother and I acted in a movie that, that the Disney company made called The Wild Country that starred uh, Steve Forrest and Vera Miles and Ron and a lot of other character actors. And I was in the movie too. And it was the only time that Ron and I have played brothers wow. in, in, any, in any kind of movie. Yeah, we've worked together several times, but we've met, but only in The Wild Country did we play brothers. And, uh, the, the, it was a great experience. We filmed up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, and it was just one of those memories that I've had. You know, hey, listen, Moose, here I'm rambling on and on and on, but, you know, you say that, or I say, that I don't remember when I started in the business, but I sure remember a lot of my experience in the business, and they've been vast. Oh, I'm, I'm glad for it. I, I could listen all day. I'm good. Uh. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it's, you know, I, I sometimes I'll ask myself the question, is it as interesting as watching paint dry? <laughs> I don't know. Well, because as since we're still talking Disney, I mean, we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit to 91 to probably one of my favorite Disney films. And it's The Rocketeer. Yes. And in fact, it was the first time that I had met Jennifer Connelly. And wow, she was like, must have been 18 years old. And what a, what a beautiful, wonderful young actress she was. And it was a great experience. I, I didn't have much of a role, but I was there. I must have gotten three or four weeks work. And it was a time in my life where I, you know, could really could use the work. And that was fun. You know, big Disney shows. And uh, hey, listen, I don't, I don't live too far from the Disney studios. And, you know, I, Kat and I live in Burbank, California. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, Disney's always been there. It's always been, always been kind of part of my life. Uh, although I'll tell you what I'll Moose, I'll say this and it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, acting is kind of a double-edged sword. There's so many highlights and then there's times where there are low lights and there's times where insecurities creep in. And, and, you know, when I was a kid, everybody thought I was kind of a Disney kid and I, I, I was never in the Mickey Mouse club. And I really didn't work in a lot of Disney shows like like we were going through my my credits. Mm -hmm. I worked in Winnie the Pooh and I worked in Jungle Book. Um, but there was a lot of things, you know, that came and went and and I didn't work. So, you know, uh, but that's OK. Well, and like you've managed to make a career for yourself doing like essentially these, these like little bit parts and character roles yeah character roles. 
I mean, listen, I've worked so much, <laughs> Moose, that, you know, I've had my share of leads and I've had my share of very strong roles, but also I do. I, I certainly am, am really happy to step up to the plate and, and you know, play, play a character in a film or a character in a TV show that just has, you know, one or two little things to do or, you know, for a while there, and it probably still exists, although I'm 63 years old and I'm starting to look like a grandpa, but, you know, I played the crazy guy really well, mm-hmm. um, you know, from Waterboy to My Name is Earl to Seinfeld. Those are parts where, you know, I played pretty squirrely characters and, and you know, producers liked what I did. And, and the result is, I'm, you know, sat their satisfied customer, which means I've done my job. The public likes it. The producers like it. And I've uh, I've I've learned to live another day. I say, yeah, the range of your uh, character acting is pretty intense. You have the, like you said, the squirrely kind of backwards rednecky guy range down up to, you know, and then you can go into like the little, you know, crazy tirade, a little bit more menacing style up to like straight lace, super serious. I mean, you have a range when it comes to your character acting. And I, I think that's part of why you've had such a long credit list here. Well, yes, uh, thank you. And, and you know, you're right. And I really owe it all to my dad and s- sort of the, the tutoring that, that he gave me as far as communicating through acting. You know, acting is not about learning dialogue and saying it. Acting is about creating an emotion and then carrying it and, and, and really living in that emotion. You know, there's, there's something interesting about, about character acting that I kind of figured out. Uh, and this was as an adult, as, as a kid, I was, it's very simple, you know, l- listen when you're for young kids or young people, the, the key thing to acting is really, really listen, you know, and, and then know know where your character has been and know what he's trying to do. Everybody in life has a motive. Everybody in, in life has an intention. What, what's their goal? What's their goals? Maybe little, maybe mini goals. Like for instance, when I was a kid, it was about, you know, dad would say, well, why are you going into the scene? Why are, why is the character? Let's, let's figure out why the character is doing what he's doing. Is he trying to get ice cream from his parents? Well, what, what's the, what's the motive? And we would figure out these little backstories and it would, it would, I guess, I, I think, it, well, no, I know it builds an honesty about my performance. And I've carried that on into my adult world where I keep it pretty simple. But the one thing that I do, that I have recognized is I'm a pretty interesting dude. For whatever, God blessed me. I'm a really interesting dude. They don't, you know, there's not a lot of people can imitate me. Not a lot of people, um, you know, are, are near me. So and I, I realize that and I go, you know, I'm going to bring me to the characters. I am going to inject Clint Howard into this crazy guy instead of the other way around. So anyway, that's just kind of my process, you know, and I'm again, back to my dad. I'm so grateful that that he gave me the foundation of of this this job of being an actor. Um, 
you know, and I just have sort of, you know, been repeating it and repeating it. You know, Moose, one thing about acting that most people kind of forget about is, you know, it's not easy. It, it, you know, anybody can act at nine o'clock in the morning when they're real fresh and, and the day is, is shiny and, and, and you know you're making money. But how good can you be after you've been on the set for 12 or 13 hours? And you just had a lousy second meal, you know, cold pizza, and you've had five cups of coffee. And the producers are expecting you to be as good at seven o'clock at night as you are, you know, as you were at eight o'clock in the morning. So there's a there's a there's a fair amount of professionalism where you just gotta kind of gut it up and do your job. Well, yeah, so you have to be able to, even if you're having a shit day, switch have flip that switch and get right back into the best performance of that role that you can deliver. You know, yes. your, your bad day can't affect, you know, this multi-million dollar project just because you're having a bad day. That is completely <clears throat> true. And another thing that I've used as for me as an actor is I've identified that I get kind of nervous. There's a little muscle sort of near my heart that that will kind of tend to tense up once I hear camera rolling. And it's kind of a pisser because I know Tom Hanks and I had a conversation about this and he identified he identified it as the, the key to acting is have equal parts, literally 50-50, equal parts, relaxation and concentration. So you got to be really centered when you when 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 the camera's rolling and it's time for you to go to work and that's hard for me to get to that that i just listen i i try i try sometimes it's not there but i've identified that sometimes that nervousness that's happening in that center part of my of my core use it i will use that i will use that nervousness and use that anxiety to my benefit as an actor I don't know. It might sound a little squirrely. Maybe that's why I play squirrely guys so good. <laughs> um, before we dive into your uh, horror repertoire, there was one thing I noticed in your credits list that I haven't seen too many actors be able to make this claim. You've appeared in four different iterations of Star Trek, dating back to the original series. That's a little surreal. Uh, yes, it is. It, it, there is no denying, first of all, for a show, for a television show to sort of have a life like Star Trek has, you have to take your cap off to him. Yeah. You have to just you have to tip your cap and say, my goodness, you know, it must have been a strong seed. And the farmers that were that, that were nurturing that seed to grow must have been really good soldiers, you know. Because yeah. it's lasted. It has, it is one of the things, you know, there's no, there's no other show like it. So, and yes, I have been in, I have been in, um, what I was in the original Star Trek. I was in Deep Space Nine. I was in um, Enterprise. And I was in um, all Discovery. Yep. You know, and listen, I, you know, I know the people that make those shows. And they seem like nice, likable people. And I wouldn't be surprised if I get to work on some more of those. They seem to like me. And, and, and again, you know, I try to I try to give them a good, honest day's work. And 
producers of all kinds appreciate that. And, and uh, you know, so who knows? But anyway, yeah, that's, it is. The Star Trek thing is pretty amazing. Well, and, you know, somebody else you seem to become a favorite of is uh, Rob Zombie. Yeah. Well, boy, talk, talk about the flip side of things. Yeah, you're right about this, Moose. We're talking, we're talking Disney. We're talking Star Trek. And then we're talking Rob Zombie. Oh, no, I love I, I love your career. I mean, it, it, it it's such a range. Like yeah. there, there's kids movies, there's family movies, there's adult movies, there's literally something for everybody in your yeah. you know film list. It's well, I'll tell you, Rob. I have a profound respect for Rob. I really do. First of all, it was the first thing I worked on was uh, Halloween. Now I had met him before. Uh, we had we had crossed our ships had passed in the night a few times. Uh, one quick little story about about the first time I met Rob Zombie. I was I was at my first autograph show. It's the first time I'd ever really done a you know a memorabilia show, and it was in Los Angeles. It was at a place called the Beverly Garland Hotel, and I was doing very well and I was excited. And this was of course well after Rock and Roll High School. Um, so I'm there signing autographs and all of a sudden who comes up to my table? It's Johnny Ramone. <laughs> and he's in the full Ramone leather jacket. His haircut looks like Johnny Ramone. My God, and no incognito with Johnny. No. And right behind him was this long haired bearded dude. It was Rob Zombie. And the two of those, the two of those fellows were dear friends. Of course, we lost Johnny a f few years ago. Um, it's been several years ago now. Um, but anyway, they were friends and they were at this memorabilia show. They were looking for old movie posters that both of them, that was their hobby was finding old movie memorabilia. So they were there and they saw, and Johnny saw that I was there at the show and he came up and said, hi. And then I met Rob and, and, you know, I, listen, I, you know, I was immediately taken by Rob. And then later on, he hired me. Actually, one time, this is a little inside baseball. We had, we had kind of not become friends, but we, we knew each other. In fact, I, I, saw, I saw him again at Johnny Ramone's memorial. And we talked for a few minutes. And, you know, he was really close to Johnny. And anyway, Ron was just finishing um, Frost Nixon. And I knew, and it was it was common knowledge that Rob Zombie had become a filmmaker. And I don't know whether I invited him or Rob asked to come to the mix of Frost Nixon. You know, and the mix of a movie is kind of exciting because it's when they have the movie edited together and they're just marrying the soundtrack, you know, and the nuances of the yeah. soundtrack to the picture. And, you know, with this, with the music already done and, They've got tracks and tracks of footsteps. And I, I find the mix really fascinating. And it used to take a couple of weeks to do a mix. I think now with technology, it's gotten a lot quicker. But anyway, so, so Rob Zombie went to the mix of Frost Nixon. And we sat there for several hours. And, you know, I knew Rob was certainly, you know, he really knew his way around recording studios and stuff because of his music career. Uh, but he found that very fascinating. And then we, we worked on Halloween together and, and we worked on a couple of other things together. And, you know, we're, we're dear friends. And then this, this last job that I worked on with Rob, it was three from hell. And it was a great role. And I got to play, you know, um, Mr. Baggy Britches, this clown that gets, 
that gets caught up in a in a, a home invasion and gets murdered. Um, but it was really a good role. And in fact, in fact, because of well, not because of, I had made Three from Hell, and then I, between working on the movie and the 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 premiere of the movie, I met Cat and my wife. And it was like our second date. I took her to the premiere of Three from Hell. Now, I don't, I don't really advocate taking a second date to a movie <laughs> like Three from Hell. I mean, I'm generally squeamish. Her head was buried in my shoulder. She couldn't watch it, you know. And then she she looked up to see my role, and I played this sympathetic guy getting ready to get killed. And you know, she uh, she still says that's that's her favorite role of mine was Three from Hell. So I say I don't advocate it, but it worked for me. But hey, sometimes Listen, it works. <laughs> yeah, I took the girl to Three from Hell, and the next thing you know, I'm marrying her. <laughs> well, and you were supposed to be in a movie within a movie for Rob, and that was in uh, Lords of Salem. There was going to be a uh, movie playing. You were going to be playing with uh... Udo Kier. Yep. And uh, then, like, it got cut due to like budget constraints or something. Uh, do you know much more about that, or is it just one of those that just like never happened? Oh no, no. I remember. Listen, Udo. Udo, great dude. Interesting, fun. It was, you know, and it was. Listen, also in the movie business, sometimes these days can get really long. And we spent a whole day filming. And what Rob was trying to do was was to film a movie that he could be showing at the movie theater. You know, so yeah. like you said, a movie within a movie. And as it turns out, they never really used it. I don't know whether it was the technology wasn't quite, you know, in fact, they would have to project the movie against the screen. And, I, you know, I don't know the details. I don't know the details of why he didn't use it. I don't believe it was because of, of Udo and I's experience, you know, our performances. I hope it's not, um, you know, and uh, so anyway, that was a film and I did less. See, I call that the work because they paid me. Yes. Yeah. And so either way, you're like, either way I got paid. So, I mean, they yes. use it, they don't, it, no skin off my back. Yeah. I'm not going to name the movies. There has been, well, there was one in particular that I worked and I had a nice part and due to the content of the, the the scene, the scene got cut out of the movie. So there was one time where my performance was completely lost on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah, and I got paid for the day's work, but then I didn't get any residuals oh, because sucks. if you're not in the if you're not in the movie, you don't get any residuals. You know. Yeah. Um, there was a movie I wanted to ask you about. It's uh, Camp Out from 2017. <laughs> American Bigfoot, Camp Out. And yeah. So that's Camp Out with a K, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And more, more along the lines of what I wanted to ask was because I had Cheney Morrow on last month and he was in the movie with you as well. What I, what I was curious about is since, you know, you've gotten into horror and things like that, do you, do you find yourself a believer of like, Bigfoot and you know Mothman and different things like that or is it just like eh it's a story oh you know listen 
are there squirrely things that happen in the world? Are there creatures in the night? You know, are there creatures in the day? Are there, are there unexplainable things that happen? Of course there are. Bigfoot as portrayed on screen, I doubt it, you know, uh, and, and I don't search those projects out. Listen, I don't really search anything out. Stuff searches me out. Uh, and, uh, y- you know, I, I, I don't turn work down. So I, no matter how weird it is, unless it's just completely without taste, I, I like to work. I like to stay busy. That's another note uh, owed to my dad. You know, my dad was a veteran character actor and he just worked and worked and worked and worked. And, and there was like no job too small, as long as it was union, as long as it paid, um, you know, he was going to give it a full consideration and probably take it. As far as camp out goes, camp out was a fun experience. Oh, yeah. Only be, and I'll tell you why. One, two, three, three of the actors from a movie I worked on called The Wraith were on board to work in camp out. Dave Sherrill, Jamie Bozian, and Chris Nash. And they, the, the director, the producer contacted me because they basically gave him my contact information. And he had been a big fan of the Wraith and he thought it would be wonderful to have us all be in this movie together. And at the time, if I remember correctly, I hadn't been working a lot, you know, as an actor, I need to keep the, the, the wheels of commerce turning. So I, um, you know, I, I said yes to it. And it was a very low budget movie. We shot it in Ohio in the middle of the summer. I felt bad for the guys that played Bigfoot because the the guys that played Bigfoot had to climb into this big, hairy, heavy, wet costume. And I say hairy and wet, it it wasn't wet when when they started filming. But these guys, and of course, the, the, the producer and the director needed to hire like a six foot, six inch guy to fit into the costume. And we're talking about the mountains of Ohio in the summer, with like, you know, 90 degree temperatures with 80% humidity. These guys were literally sweating their nuts off. And, and they, they had a problem. They didn't really consider sweat. And the, 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 the suit got so heavy, anybody that tried to move around in it just couldn't because it was like a weighted vest, huge weighted thing. So if you really look closely at that film, you don't really see the Bigfoot moving around real fast because he couldn't because the thing weighed a couple hundred pounds. Well, I mean, all in all, I guess, you know, Bigfoot probably would end up moving that slow anyway for the same reason. I mean, 80, 90 percent humidity, I'd be sweating my ass off. Yeah, well, there's probably not a lot of Bigfoot in Ohio. I, I would guess it's, I would guess, if, if I was to speculate about the reality of Bigfoot, if there is kind of half man, half bear, whatever creatures that are out there, hybrid creatures, they're probably in real cold weather. That's where I'd go. Yeah. I mean, back to my experiences working on Gentle Ben, you know, Gentle Ben, we filmed down in Florida and California black bears are big, fat mm-hmm. creatures, you know, that sweat prodigiously. And they're, 
they were not having a good time. Our California black bears that were in Florida working on Gentle Ben were not having a really good time. You know, because, you know, things, listen, nobody moves real fast in, in 80 degree, 90 degree, no. 70% humidity. Nasty. Let's say the other day here, it was uh, 70 degrees at like 100% humidity. You walked outside and you got hit with like a blanket of just moisture. And you're just like, oh, going back yeah. in. Nope. I'm not going outside. Yeah, I remember, listen, I'm 63 years old now. And yeah, humidity is something that, that. It, it, it does affect me. When I was a kid working on Gentle Ben, you know, after the first couple of days of, of being, of identifying the humidity, it didn't bother me any, you know, that, that, but I'll tell you what, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, getting to work down in Florida on Gentle Ben, that was a heck of an experience. That was, you know, that was something that I'll never forget. There's, you know, I could just go on and on and on just about the Gentle Ben experience. It just means I'm going to have to have you back. Well, that's, you know, Moose, that's very possible. <laughs> but hey, you seem like a good bloke. Highly probable it would be a better way of putting it. I like that. Um, let's dive into, you know, uh, two of your roles that the movies themselves have uh, essentially these, like, cult followings. That's Leprechaun 2, and then, of course, the one I mentioned at the beginning, Ice Cream Man. But, mm -hmm. you know, Leprechaun 2, sequel to this you know, new budding franchise about this little Irish guy who just wants his gold and will kill anybody to get it. And here you are, you're a tourist. And this is, I, I, I think this is probably one of the first times, This I think this is the first role, actually, where I picked up on you as an actor in, in the different spots. Because it's like, hey, he was in this. Hold on. You know, and then you kind of start tracking. It's like, oh, and this one, and this one, and it's like, oh, okay. So that for me, that was kind of the pivotal point of where it's like, okay, he's doing a lot. <laughs> so, um, well, you know, again, thank you. And I don't really have much memory of working on that. And it has nothing to do with my frame of mind at the time or anything like that. I, it was just, I do remember, and I may be mistaken. I don't want to be because she was a wonderful young character actress at the time. I believe her name was Kimmy Robertson. She played my wife or my girlfriend and we were in this, it was a hearse. Yeah. We, Cause you we were, were doing the haunted Halloween, uh, the, the, the haunted Hollywood tours. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, because I, I think I may have seen it once, but I was skeptical. I was skeptical of all these, you know, stories. And I, I was a kind of a non-believer. And we filmed for a day, and Kimmy and I had some laughs. And again, I, I, I feel remiss about, you know, not being able to recall her name. But she was, you know, and she had done some other stuff, and I, I only worked with her that one time. Um, but yeah, you know, now you want to dig deep. You want to take a deep dive with that. You know, Warwick Davis, who played Leprechaun in all those movies, he was an actor in a little movie that Ron made years and years ago called Willow. My brother directed Willow for George Lucas and Warwick Davis played Willow. I believe it was Willow. Yep. Anyway, and um, I just heard a little inside baseball, you know, they, and this is all official and above the table, 
you know, my brother's company, Imagine, they made a series out of Willow, like a streaming series for one of the streaming services. So, and they, they announced it, the Star Trek had a, or Star Wars, that's sacrilege to say Star Wars, <laughs> talking about Star Trek, um, th that this, this, they announced it. In fact, Ron went down to the Star Wars celebration to show a clip of the new Willow TV series. I think they did 10 episodes like streaming services yeah. do. They offer, and Warwick is in it. And it's, you know, wonderful. And this is after all these years, after all these years that Warwick can, can come back and play that character. Now, he's had a wonderful career because he went ahead and did Leprechaun mm -hmm. and did that. I don't know how many, how many different Leprechauns did they make? Uh, I think eight or nine. Yeah. Well, he did them. And then in his life, in his real life, he was working for George Lucas uh, as he would operate the drones, like not the drones. Let me get this straight. And, you know, R2-D2. There was a time where Warwick Davis was like a stunt person that would that would work for George Lucas as they were operating these, you know, robotic uh, costumes. So and Ron has stayed close with Warwick over all these years. And, you know, Ron feels really good that, you know, Warwick's been able to have a full career. But anyway, yeah, Warwick was in Leprechaun and I didn't meet him on the show. You know, it was one of his off days anywhere. You know, he's not going to show up to the set, have, you know, when, when he's not working. So anyway, Leprechaun and I was in Leprechaun, too. Correct. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is a very nice uh, melting uh, meeting point between, you know, your career and. Uh, you know, Warwick's career, uh, both of which can be tied to your brother and your family. Well, yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. Yes, yes. And I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I didn't meet Warwick. I didn't, you know, I had no tie. I had right. no tangible tie, except we were in the same same show. We both We both were employees of the same producer making a piece of entertainment, you know, and that's, you know, but as it turns out, it's deeper than that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, you it, know. It, it, it's, it's always fun when you sit back and peel back the layers and you're just like, wow, you know, these, you know, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we didn't actually get to hang out. We didn't have any scenes together, but you know, we both got to this point, you know, we're both here at this you know, point in our lives, and we both started way back here. Yes. Well, Moose, you know, I worked with actresses who were in the silent movies. That's crazy. When I was, when I was about five years old, I was in an episode of a television program called The Gene Arthur Show. And Gene Arthur was an actress that when I worked with her, she was probably, you know, 70 years old and she was playing an attorney in a sitcom and the show didn't last very long. I think it was only on for one year, but previously in her career, she had worked for Frank Capra and then her very early days as an actress were working in silent films. So, you know, yeah, you mentioned that Warwick Davis and I go way back. 
Well, Jiminy Christmas, I go back to silent movies. I mean, I worked with Henry Fonda, Maureen O'Hara, um, you know, the, the Dennis Weaver. Here's a weird one. That, what, how, what is it that that game that they play with Kevin Bacon? Oh, six, the, yeah, separation. six degrees of separation. Yeah. Yeah, we have got to invent a new game for me. <laughs> you know, because it's just the connections that 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 I have I have had, and not because not because of anything of my doing. I just suited up and showed up, and I was in the right place at the right time. And again, you know, mom and dad kind of kind of you know made it possible. God made it possible for me being born. But the connections, you know, are, you know, are just bizarre after bizarre after bizarre. But, you know, that's okay. So let's dive into Ice Cream Man. You know, this has, this is the definition of a cult classic. I mean, this is the one that just keeps popping up every so often. New generations find it. You know, it keeps finding a new audience. And it's so fun. Well, it is. And let me first say that I have remained friends with Norman. The, Norman Epstein, the fellow that directed the movie. Um, we've, we've stayed friends over the years. And let's see, how long ago was it? I think we made it in 92 or 93 and it came out in 94. Yeah. So how long ago? Let's see. So let's see, we made it 30 years ago. Let's just say yeah. close to 30 years ago, we made it. Um, and our friendship is really solid and he's a great dude. In fact, in fact, we just went on vacation with him um, to down to Belize. Uh, Kat and I went uh, scuba diving down to Belize and it was, we had big fun. But Norman and I are in the process of writing another Ice Cream Man movie. See that that was going to be my question. After you mentioned that, it's like, are we going to get a sequel? Because I mean, it ended with it set up pretty good for a uh, second movie. Well, yeah, except Ice Cream Man dies, which of course. And the fact is, listen, I'm now sixty three years old. I'm going to play a sixty year old. Um, I I don't believe we're that interested in going back and and rebooting all the characters. I think we're just going to, I think Norman and I are going to make a movie called Ice Cream Man and I'm going to play the Ice Cream Man, but it's not going to have plot wise anything but some Easter eggs in regards to the old movie. You know, we're not going to, we, we actually, Norman and I have, have created and, and we've envisioned and created this plot that is, you know, unique unto itself. And it doesn't have anything to do with the first movie. So more like a spiritual sequel than an actual sequel sequel. <laughs> I don't know whether you're going to call anything about Ice Cream Man spiritual. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, the spirit, the spirit is going to be this. The spirit is going to be similar. Although, listen, and, and Norman and I have talked about this for years. And, you know, it, when, when the first Ice Cream Man was made, Goonies had come out and, you know, Goonies was kind of a hybrid because it was a kid's movie. It was, it was, you know, it wasn't a horror movie, but it was sort of a suspense yeah. action movie that had this kind of what fantasy element into it, but th there were kids. 
And Norman kind of wanted to make a kid's horror movie. And once he made it, he realized that those two genres probably don't mix in a pure sense. That it, and, and I believe, listen, we still are in the process of creating it. We, we've, we've, we've done a lot of writing on it and we hope to have it ready for 2023, just to let the cat out of the bag. Um, but we, 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 it, it will be more adult in tone. Well, I mean, of course, there's going to be kids in the movie because God, I mean, the ice cream man is built for kids, but the kids aren't, the kids probably will not be so plot specific in this movie. And it's going to be more about the ice cream man and, and his backstory. And it, like I said, it won't have anything to do with Gregory Tudor and his, and, and his backstory. But anyway, let's get back to the original because you're right. The original, the original ice cream man is in an odd sort of a way, kind of a perfect cult horror movie from that generation. See, and it teaches, I mean, it teaches Stranger Danger. It, you know, it, it teaches, I mean, there's a lot of life lessons that the movie teaches that. Yeah, you know, it, it first of all, Norman and I have had the opportunity to screen the movie a couple of times for public small little like to charity things people pay money and and coming you know the, giving money to charity and they have we have a small screening of ice cream man and you know norman will say this every time you know we'd get in big trouble if we made that movie today that same movie because <laughs> you've got i mean yeah you say there are there are lessons that we that we teach but there's also child kidnapping child endangerment and and you know there's there's areas if you really go back and look at the first movie that as norman says we get in big trouble if we made this today so uh but it was fun listen i ice cream man there was a spirit about it and some of it had to do with with norman's vision and then of course it was a low budget movie so you know it's norman's vision but then what can he really put on the screen um, and some of the people that he had help make Ice Cream Man, um, you know, and then me, I was, it was an interesting part of my life. I was in my early thirties, uh, and I hadn't worked a lot in, in, I hadn't worked a lot in the late eighties and I started working again and things were going really good. Uh, and here I got a chance to be the lead in this zany kind of nutty movie where I could go full bore crazy. And uh, the, the way I prepared the ice cream man had a really interesting voice. I said, eh, not every day is a happy, happy, happy day. Um, and so the, the way I can, and that my voice certainly did not sound like that when I was in my early thirties. And the way I would get my voice to sound like that is on my way to location every day, I would scream in my car, I would scream at the top of my lungs. So my voice was just hoarse when I would show up to the set. And ice cream man, that's the way ice cream man sounded. You know, you want some ice cream? So anyway, that's, you know, that, 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 that was my preparation on a daily basis to play Gregory in the ice cream man. Well, I was wondering where the voice came from because, yeah, it's not like it, 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 it seems it fit the character. Don't get me wrong. It like, it just, it seemed like it was a very, you know, direct director's note. Okay. This is this type of voice we need get to it. 
And it was that was it, sort of it. Like that and moose, it seemed that... reminiscent of Michael Keaton in uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, yeah. Although you know, here's an odd thing. And I, listen, I have profound respect for Michael, and I can I have I can tell plenty of stories that me and Michael's relationship go way back. Uh, I never saw Beetlejuice. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what to say. I mean I I've seen bits of it from little clips, but it was just a matter of you know I knew I knew kind of who I was and I knew I had to get somewhere and and I believe it was like you just said it was indicated in the script that he had a gravelly voice, so I got there, and it was fun. I it was a blast working on Ice Cream Man. It really really was. It was just a you know, the crew and, and I remember Mark Garbarino was the makeup effects guy and Mark Garbarino did those, the great like prosthetic heads of David Naughton's head on an ice cream cone and the two cops, I cut off the cops heads and put, and put their heads on, on ice cream scoopers and did a puppet show for the kids. And so Mark Garbarino, Mark Garbarino had, had did all these great, great special effects. Well, you know, Mark Garbarino, and you can, it's plainly listed on IMDb. He also did the physical effects in a movie called Edward Penis Hands, which is a film Norman directed. That's how they had met each other. So anyway, I got that working for me. Oh man. Um, you ever, have you ever seen Edward Penis Hands? I have not. It's a heck of a picture. <laughs> Pokes right out at you. <laughs> at least it's not in 3D. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you summed up Ice Cream Man pretty well. In one word, zany is the right description for the movie i mean it, you know it, it's there, there's campy horror and then there's ice cream man it doesn't it's not super campy because it's not you know really cheesy it's just it's oh, wait hold fun. on a second hold on a second moose you say not really cheesy you know in in our pantry i have a box of cheeses <laughs> <laughs> No, you know what? You're, I'm you're not right. saying there's not some cheese in the movie. I'm just saying there are cheesier movies. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, it was. And listen, they it Norman ended up sort of hitting the right notes. Yeah. I just remember, and I've seen the movie over over the years now because fans, you know, um, I've seen it at screenings, uh, and of course I had to show it to my wife, and I had to show it to to you know some family members. But I'll tell you what, I'm not sure Ron's actually ever seen it. Someday I'm going to have to get sit him down. <laughs> he has two hours, of, he has an hour and a half of his life. I think I may make him watch Ice Cream Man. Um, that, that, Record that. Know, that'd be worth the, you know, that, oh, that'd be worth yeah. the price of admission. Oh. I remember years ago, Ron had these, Ron had a great relationship with these two editors, Academy Award winning film editors that Ron worked with for 25 years. Guys, two guys named Mike Hill and Dan Hanley. And back in the mid 90s after Ice Cream Man had come out, I think those two guys actually sat down one day in a hotel room and watched Ice Cream Man together. 
and they didn't have Ron, but they then, and you know, those guys, I'm, I'm really close to Dan and Mike and uh, still to this day. Uh, and, and they remember watching ice cream man. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the opportunity of, of doing that character again as a different man because he's 60 years old. Yeah. You know, um, and it'll be interesting and I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it and, and, you know, I think it'll be a good piece of business. I mean, listen, you know, all the horror conventions I go to, I'd say 75% of the business is all about ice cream man. I say when yeah. we were together in Moline, there was that you, you had a long line of uh, ice cream man fans. I mean, there was even that little fan that had the head on the cone. Uh, yes. The, the kid from the, you know, head on a cone. Every once in a while, some little dude will show up dressed like me. Yeah. Which is kind of frightening. I actually had a kid. I had a I had a kid. This has been a few years ago, and he was a, turned out to be a really nice guy. He sent me a picture of himself when he was about twenty years old. He shaved his head like chrome, like chrome dome. You know, he, <laughs> he shaved his head like my hairline and dressed up as Ice Cream Man for Halloween. Whew, good Lord. Yeah. Well, you know, listen. I I dressed up as Batman one year for for uh, Halloween. I did too, but I didn't shave my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've been at this for about an hour. Uh, <laughs> and that flew by. Um, well, I like good conversation. I do as, too, as, and that, that's it, why I do this. Yeah, yeah, and listen, maybe at some point we soon, or maybe not too soon, but... but you know, sooner than later, we, we can come back and do this again. I because, say we yeah. definitely have you back for part two. Um, do you have any projects coming out that you can talk about? Um, let's see. Is there anything? Oh, yes, I do. I do. I had this past, past fall, last fall, I had the opportunity to work on a Western with Nicolas Cage. And it was Nick Cage's first Western that he had ever worked on. And it was, it's called The Old Way. And it's a classic Western story, great script about a father and a daughter that have to go off and hunt down killers. And, you know, th that story would be easy to tell if it was a father and a son. Yeah. But the fact that it's a father and a daughter and basically Nick Cage, Nick Cage's character has to friggin', you know, like, dust off his old chops he you know he was a reformed gun in the movie nick cage is a reformed gunfighter and and when people do him wrong in in to the ultimate you know the ultimate way he has to like pull out his friggin' guns and put on his old western face and go off and hunt down these killers and he has to bring his 10 year old daughter along with him and it's an interesting psychological movie. And I play one of the gang. I play like the oldest guy of the gang of bad guys. You know, I play this character named Eustace. And it was a wonderful movie. Brett Donahue directed it. Um, Saban Entertainment picked it up. And I believe, you know, soon coming up this summer, it's going to be available, hopefully in theaters, if not for streaming. I mean, Nick Cage gave a great performance. Ryan Armstrong, who was in Firestarter, 
she plays the daughter. And so, yeah, it's something I was really proud of. And I played this character, Eustace. And uh, I have two artificial hips. And yet, you know, I swung my I swung my leg over a saddle and I rode horses and fired guns and, and, and ran around like a bad guy. I feel I would be remiss if I didn't ask, should we, can we uh, hope to see you in the upcoming Rob Zombie project that he's working uh, on? You know, uh, no, no, I, I wasn't in it. I, you know, Rob and I talked about being in it and, and I'll tell you why, just, I'll, and this is sort of the first, I, you know, I have two hip, I have two artificial hips and about a month before they were scheduled to go off and, and, do their movie, I had to have a second surgery on mm. one of my hips. And it just made it so I just couldn't really give them the full go. Mm. So, you know, but anyway, you know, listen, Rob, I have the utmost respect for Rob. And, you know, I know that when something is available, he's going to hire me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I say, he, you're definitely, like I said earlier, you're definitely in his uh, favorites list. Yeah, well, listen, you know, and I appreciate that. And as we talk about this, as we've gone back and reminisced for the last hour or so, uh, you know, I am very, very grateful, Moose. You know, there there are very, very few things that I'm not grateful for. Um, you know, some of them, some of them end up being sort of some decisions I've made. But generally speaking, you know, life has turned out very well for me. And you know, I consider myself a very fortunate man. And as we, like I said, as we go back and reflect on it, my goodness, what, you know, what do I have to bitch about, you know? Um, so where can listeners keep up with you on social media? Okay, that's a good one. Um, Clint Howard Official on Instagram. That's sort of my go-to fan site. And it's both, both it's not just all fan stuff. You know, let people in on the family and let people in on the life, you know. Cat and I do some kind of funny bits once in a while. I always have a sense of humor when I do something that we think might end up being on Facebook. I, I mean, on Instagram. In fact, you know, I'll find something uh, like, for instance, I, we went into a doctor's office. This has been a few months ago. We went into a doctor's office and I saw a sign that said nut free zone. And. I said, babe, you got to pull out the camera and take a picture. So I made the goofiest face I could make. And I stood right under the nut free zone sign. And, you know, people at people on Instagram love it. I think I'm, we're also on Facebook, you know, and I believe we let my daughter, I think Rafa ends up monitoring my TikTok account, but I honest to God don't know how active that is. <laughs> so let me just say officially, Clint Howard official is the spot, you know, and also around around the country, uh, you know, I, I do make personal appearances at various horror conventions. I've just been been to a few. I try to make about six a year. You know, every two months, we like to go out and, and meet the fans and 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 you know press the press the flesh and and have a good time. You know, it gives us gives Cat and I a way to travel. You know, which is kind of fun. It gives us a purpose. So anyway, look for us at horror conventions around town and and also around the country and also people can you know send me messages on instagram and our my team will will answer them you know and as far as requests for things like my kempster cd that's another thing we did you got to have me on again yeah so we, so we, I, we didn't even get to the cd which yeah. i love uh 
so yeah i will uh post the links to all of those the clint howard official pages in the episode description listeners you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on twitter at moose media inc and yes clint we definitely have to have you back on so because i mean we we talked for an hour we barely scratched the surface and there's so much more that we could tap into so later this year early next year we'll bring you back in for clint howard round two the return of clint or something <laughs> name pending i don't know <laughs> hey moose maybe we can figure a better title than that okay yeah we'll yeah. workshop something uh yeah we'll workshop something spitball we'll keep spitting at each other till something sticks but thank you so much for uh coming in and uh chatting with me this this uh i guess afternoon now um <laughs> and uh yeah we will definitely do this again sometime cool man and listeners until next time mash on This has been Moose's Monster Bash. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>